Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business that is pushing the boundaries of science to deliver new cancer medicines. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Howard Hoxter, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's a patient perspective with breast cancer survivor Anne-Marie Rosaler. Dr. Chagpar is an associate professor in the Department of Surgery at the Yale School of Medicine and the assistant director for global oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. So, Anne-Marie, I thought, you know, this month, October, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and a lot of people are hearing a lot of buzz about breast cancer. You've been through this journey. Tell us your story that starts with, once upon a time, I was perfectly well, and then dot, dot, dot. And then dot, dot, dot. On early December uh, 2011... Um, I was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. How did that happen? Like, did you go for a mammogram? Did you feel a lump? Did you have nipple discharge? Like, seriously start from the very beginning. Because a lot of people, that's the fear that they have is one day they're going to be diagnosed. But how does that happen? Um, I was very diligent about having my yearly mammogram because of my family history. My mom had breast cancer when she was 70. She did not die of breast cancer, but she had she was treated for breast cancer um, when she was 70. And uh, I was concerned that uh, with my family history was the fact that I was also on hormone replacement therapy, uh, that I was in a higher risk group and therefore uh, I made sure that uh, I got my yearly mammogram and I'm very very adamant about about that you know anybody any of my friends I speak to you have to have your mammogram regardless of what you read in the paper because without that I probably wouldn't be here today because Uh, that mammogram found it early is that right yes what happened is that um I had just retired, and uh, just prior to retirement, I decided to transfer all my records from Atlanta, where I was working, to Yale. And uh, why Yale? Because um, I wanted a breast, comprehensive breast center, one-stop shopping. Um, You know, I knew because of Yale's reputation, it was really important for me to have uh, the best of care. And uh, I had my mammogram in June. Uh, of 2011, and in June 2011, um, the I was told that I better come back in six months to have something checked. And sure enough, in December, I went back and you um, uh, found something that needed to be biopsied, and uh, I was biopsied and diagnosed with um, what is it called ductal. Uh, Invasive ductal carcinoma. Yeah. And um, I was so stunned because this is something that happens to everybody but not you. Exactly. And um, I did not know. At the time, I, I did not know what road I was going to be on. And I think that's the worst part is just the anxiety. What does that mean? And um, what 
reassured me was, in fact, the, the way I was um, treated immediately. And I have for full disclosure, disclosure by you, <laughs> uh, in a very reassuring manner. Um, at the time, my mother was hospitalized in a very grave condition in France, and that was my major concern, was taking care of her. And you told me, you're not going to let cancer rule your life. You're going to go about your life. We're going to take care of you. And that was the most reassuring thing. I, um, you know, The feeling that I felt uh, cared for, there was responsiveness and um, empathy, and uh, that made a world of difference. And of course, the support of my family and my friends. I was lucky to to be in that situation, to be retired also. Um, that was a very positive uh, factor because I did not have to worry about children and 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 uh, and work. Um, and uh, I must say that even though I was uh, terrified, I I can say in retrospect, and even at the time after I was, you know, I, I had surgery, after I had um, uh, radiotherapy, that I felt I had optimum experience with, you know, having breast cancer that I could possibly have. And for that reason, I felt that it was important that I share that message with other patients because I, I, the terror I felt quickly, well, the, the worst part is the wait, you know, waiting for, for mammogram result, waiting for the, the um, MRI result, waiting for the pathology report. You, never, you don't know what it all means. You don't know what road you're going to be on. And um, at the end of, after, after I've been through all this, I can say that um, it has been a very, I hate to say positive, but it, has, it was the, the best possible experience I could have uh, with, that, with my diagnosis. So let's take a step back. You go for your mammogram. They call you back in six months. What was that like? What were the thoughts going through your head when they said, you know, we see something, but it might be nothing. Come back in six months. I was not so concerned. Uh, because I was, I had mammograms every year, and every time I was called back for because I had dense breast tissue, so I had to have a sonogram. They saw something, and every time it was a cyst, and uh, you know, and so I was. So you thought, okay, six was, months, know, okay, one more time, and um, and so I was really, I was stunned and terrified. Yeah. So then you come back in December, and they say. Well, now, now we need to do a biopsy, and you have that biopsy, and you said the worst part is the wait. So how long did you have to wait to get the results back? Uh, and how, how did those results get delivered to you? Well, that was not so positive. <laughs> uh, that was the only negative part of my whole experience is that, well, I think it took maybe three days for, my, for me to get the results of the biopsy, um, and the way I received the results is by uh, a message on my answering machine. I just come back from walking my dog, and I find this message saying that I had to come in for an, for an MRI. Mm. And who was that from, from your family doctor or your OBGYN? No, this was from Yale. From uh, the radiology? Uh, yes. Yeah? Uh, and so I knew instantly what that meant. 
I mean, if I, uh, and uh, this is when I tried to call back and I get, uh, I get another, you know, I had to leave a voicemail message. But I had, and that's what I find really very positive in my experience, Yale, I had your email and I emailed you and you responded immediately. Not only you did respond by email, you called me. Yeah. And so I think that's really important for when you're a patient to have a medical team that is responsive. And we understand that, you know, medical teams, I mean, your doctors and your nurse coordinators are dealing with many patients and are very busy, but it means the world to a patient to have that kind of responsiveness. So you get called back and they say you need an MRI. And at what point did they tell you that you have cancer? Well, when you called me back, you told me that I had, you know, breast cancer early stage. And you were as reassuring as you could possibly be. And um, so I had the MRI. And you also warned me that the MRI... um, and that's something I tell all my friends or, or, or other patients I speak to that, you know, an MRI can come back with alarming results, a lot of false positive, which happens with me, mm-hmm. which meant that I had to have another biopsy, an MRI-guided biopsy, mm-hmm. which was also another weight, another anxiety-provoking experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, actually, that's probably the time when I was most scared because the other breast was involved. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about possible, you know, we were talking then about a double mastectomy. One thing that, you know, when I was diagnosed, you told me all my options. I mean, you laid out all the options with all the possible outcomes, all the statistics. And so... Basically, it was my decision based on all the facts that you laid out in front of me. And I opted for a partial mastectomy. But then when the MRI results came, there was a possibility of a double mastectomy. Yeah. And so that, I think that probably was the worst part yeah. for me. Um, and uh, But then when we re- got the results of the biopsy, it was better than we had anticipated, so it was, um, uh, yes, but I remember those times are as very, um, it's kind very of up and down, huh? up and down, and the weight, it's the weight, really, yeah. and not knowing which road, I think once you're on the, the path of action, meaning taking a treatment, um, then I felt better, mm-hmm. when I knew what the path was going to be, uh, there was still, you know, waiting for the results of pathology report following the surgery. But um, once we went ahead with surgery, um, then I felt much better. Right, right, because you had taken action to get the cancer out. Yes. And at the same time, you were dealing with your mom, who was ill uh, in France. What was that like, trying to go through cancer treatment yourself and still worrying about your mom? Well, in retrospect, I think... In a way, it helped me. It took my mind off, you know, my 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 situation, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was losing your lo- losing your mom is you know a major major e- event in in one's life, mm-hmm. and um, 
She was a force of nature. Mm-hmm. She was also a volunteer. She was the head of the nursing section for the Red Cross in Monaco for many, many years until she was 87 when she attended a conference in Osaka, Japan for, for, the, for, the, for the Red Cross. And when she came back, she had a stroke. I'm so sorry. Yes. And um, so the last three years of her life were really, really tough. And yeah. so she was hospitalized. She was 90 when uh, when I was diagnosed, and she was in the hospital. And uh, that was, I think, the most, I think probably the most stressful part mm-hmm. of it all. And in a way, she helped me. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that is really important for people to understand and our listeners uh, who may be going through this is that, you know, breast cancer never, you know, kind of, picks a date on your schedule and says, is this a good time? It always happens when other things are happening. It's it's an unanticipated event. And you have to make sure that you live your life. Your breast cancer treatment is there to help you live your life, but you've got to live your life and and um, get take care of the cancer at the same time. But But don't put off, you know, going to see your mom who's ill or going in on a and trip I did that not you, and because yeah. you and and you were instrumental in that in pushing me to go on about my life right and reassuring me that uh, you and and the Yale team were there to to care, take care of me and um, okay so. yeah well that's fantastic we're gonna take a short break for a medical minute uh, and learn a lot more about Anne Marie's story in honor of breast cancer awareness month right after this. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working side-by-side with leading scientists to better understand how complex data can be converted into innovative treatments. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about lung cancer. More than 85% of lung cancer diagnoses are related to smoking, and quitting, even after decades of use, can significantly reduce your risk of developing lung cancer. For lung cancer patients, clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments. Advances are being made by utilizing targeted therapies and immunotherapies. The BATTLE II trial at Yale aims to learn if a drug or combination of drugs based on personal biomarkers can help to control non-small cell lung cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Anne-Marie Rosaler. She's sharing today her story of survivorship with us in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And right before the break, Anne-Marie, you were telling us about how you actually went back to France, right in the middle of all of your treatments. Tell us more about that. Well, in fact, I was diagnosed uh, in December and uh, surgery was scheduled for the middle of January. And uh, in consultation with you, uh, we agreed that we could postpone it to um, early February so that I could go- be with my mother, which I did, and, and I went back. And I spent um, about three weeks with her. I knew at the time that it was the end, but I could not stay any longer. So I came back for the surgery, and um, I think three days after surgery, she passed away. 
And so when I called you and I said, can I go back for the funeral? And you said yes. So I went um, less than, than a week after surgery. I went back to France for the funeral. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I was at the time I was still I, I didn't have not, not have the results of the pathology report. I know so when I came back, after I came back, um, we got the good news, which were that um, I would require treatment of radiotherapy, no chemo. And that was a huge relief. Um, and I went and uh, I met with the radiology, um, the oncologist, and uh, who agreed that I could have the treatment close to me because I live about an hour and 20 minutes away from from uh, from Yale which I did and um, I would say I was so grateful and so relieved that to me going for you know my my daily treatments was felt like a gift in a way tell uh, me more about that I was, uh, I must be, to be honest, I was, um, I was very worried about chemo. And so the fact that I did not have to undergo chemo uh, was, um, was a huge relief mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And yes, I experienced, you know, the, the, like the severe sunburn and, and, but other than that, I was fine. Yeah. I was fine. I was fine, and I was fine also because I felt things were slowly returning to normal. I was also grieving for my mother, so it's you know things things do get back to normal. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you went back though, and were able to spend some quality time with her before she passed. Yes, but that was really a tough part because I knew I knew she was dying, yeah. and and. and uh, and um, I couldn't be with her when when she passed. So yeah. that's something that I, you know, I deeply regret. But I, I, my brother was my brothers were with her. So that's my consolation. Yeah. And so you went through radiation treatments, and you got back to normal. Talk more about that because a lot of people who may be looking at breast cancer and facing breast cancer may wonder whether things ever get back to normal. Well, they do, <laughs> and it feels wonderful. Yeah. Back then, you know, it's it made me realize that you can't ever take normal for granted. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, uh, I mean, I think it was in a way a wonderful feeling to get back to normal. It's so such a relief, and things do get back to normal, and normal feels amazing. That's the way it felt, and. Um, I always, that's why I decided to volunteer. Yeah. Because I had that feeling that, yes, you, you can be terrified, you can be, you know, over, I mean, have so much anxiety, but it will pass. Yeah. Tell us more about that, because I think it is so amazing, and we're so grateful to see how patients, you know, they, they go through this time of, tumultuousness with their own breast cancer journey and then they really want to give back in a positive way and you've really made a difference to a lot of patients. Tell us more about how that happened, how you made the decision to volunteer and what that experience has been like for you. Um, 
it is strange because I mean it's just I wanted to volunteer because I had just retired and I knew that that was one of the things that I wanted to do was to volunteer but I wasn't sure in what capacity I thought Red Cross maybe and this was a natural mm. because I felt I had such a positive experience or the optimum experience I would say I could have uh, and it felt so good that it, it felt and I saw all these volunteers that when I when every you know when I came pretty much every week or every two weeks uh, at Yale and um, that uh, it felt like a normal thing to do and I remember meeting with um, the volunteer coordinator Annie Kaplan and uh, she actually said to me a uh, very Point blank, she said, are you sure you want to do this? Mm. She said, a lot of patients don't want to have anything to do, you know, with, with coming back. And I said, I need it. I felt there was a need. It was therapeutic for me because it kind of uh, normalized the whole experience um, coming every week to see um, the, the team who cared for me, but to, to also speak with other patients. And try and help, you know, with with my experience to to reassure them that yes, things do get back to normal, and it does feel wonderful. Yeah. So. And I know that a lot of patients really uh, are so grateful to have other patients who have gone through it, kind of helping to chaperone uh, all of the other issues. You know, you you've got your surgeon telling you about the surgery and the radiation oncologist telling you about the radiation and. But having another patient who has lived that journey and gone through the ups and downs and the roller coaster of emotions um, must be so wonderful. I, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing very much, but um, sometimes I come across a patient and and we hit it off, and I've actually become friends with uh, some patients. And um, when you uh, hit with the news is just so overwhelming and I remember get, getting that big binder mm-hmm. with a ton of information mm-hmm. um, I don't know that many patients actually go through the through the binder I know that you you know there's also a nurse coordinator there's a social worker there's a complementary services so there are a lot of resources but there's just so much so it's good to be you know to speak to another patient who actually tells you you know what's helped him or her mm-hmm. um, and for me um, being with other patients speaking with other patients has, has also been helpful yeah and then you went off and became a Zumba instructor oh uh, well I mean uh, as I've always been um, a dance lover mm-hmm so um, I always tried to take as many classes as I could ever, always. And I discovered at my local gym, that was in 2010, I discovered a fitness program called Zumba. And I thought, this is for me. I love it. Um, and uh, I, w- I was becoming really frustrated because they kept canceling classes. And I said, the only way for me to do this on a regular basis is, is to teach. So I became a licensed Zumba instructor. And it was so helpful in my recovery also physically and and emotionally that uh, I thought it might not be a bad idea to share that with other patients and that's how um, I decided you know I asked if I could teach as a volunteer a class for patients and I've been doing that now for two years yeah and and do patients love it 
Uh, yes, they do. Those who actually are adventurous, <laughs> because Zumba scares a lot of of people. Okay. It's too violent, too intense. But it really isn't. It, it isn't because you adjust the intensity. And I teach. I I, I actually became uh, Zumba Gold, which is no intensity, low intensity Zumba, for that purpose. So that I could I could go back to smile and say, this is really no impact, gentle Zumba as you have gentle yoga. And um, I've been enjoying it very much. And patients, I think, uh, you know, it's a small group, but they are regulars and they like it a lot. Yeah. It's, it's Zumba therapy, really. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I take Zumba at a, at a local gym here, too, and I, I love it. It would be so nice if, if the healthcare workers could also take your Zumba class. Yes, they also say they would love to, but <laughs> they don't have time because they're working. Yeah, yes. that's right. But talk a little bit about, you know, we in, in survivorship, one of the things that we talk about a lot is not only getting back to normal, but getting back to physical activity um, and exercise. And so I thought that your idea to bring Zumba to patients was such a wonderful idea to really get people active, to help them to, to exercise, to get down to ideal body weight. These are all things that a lot of breast cancer patients struggle with. Yes, and when I, you know, when I, when patients come to to Zumba class, I also tell them, you know, if you don't like Zumba, I mean, find something that you love to mm-hmm. do. I think what's really, really important, both physically and mentally, is is just moving. Is not not to stay still ever. Is to move, 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 move. For me, it's it's crucial. Yeah, and um, and. Uh, I hope that you know even patients who have come and loved it but can't come back and encourage them to find classes at the Y or or their local gym or to find something that they love doing whether it's walking, cycling, swimming, you name it, just right. hiking. Um, for me, walking my dog also has been very important. You know, yeah. I walk my dog for an hour every day, and uh, and. Uh, Physical activity is, uh, and basically doing what you love. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you really engender in, in people and in patients is having a really positive outlook on the world. Uh, um, there's never a time I see you when you don't have a smile on your face. Well, I mean, it's one thing that cancer has, me, has made me realize, first of all, it's very humbling. Um, you realize that you don't know what it's like. You know, you may have had many friends, and I do, unfortunately, have many friends who have dealt with with cancer, and not only breast cancer. Um, you don't know what it's like until you deal with it yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, it made me realize, you know, how tenuous and how fragile, fragile um Norm, I mean, normal is. And uh, I say to, um, you know, to all my friends, you know, don't let the small stuff bother you. Just, yep. you know, you have to live your life with a vengeance and and uh, and uh, kindness is a lot easier, in my opinion. Being kind and smiling is so much easier than being nasty. Yep. Yep. And the number of patients that I have had who really have taken that outlook of um, a new outlook on life, that it is precious and things that maybe scared them before, they'll now take on or 
bad relationships that they were in, they now get out of, or good relationships they get into. And this kind of almost metamorphosis that cancer has that really is very, as you as you called it in our last segment, positive. Talk more about that. How How is cancer a positive experience? Because a lot of people who have not experienced it think it's the end of the world. But so many cancer patients come out of it and they say, you know what? I didn't like having cancer, but it was one of the most positive things that could have happened to me. Yes. And, you know, I hesitate to say positive, but for me and, uh, you know, I, I have for full disclosure, I had, the, you know, because of my own personal situation, being retired and, and having a lot of family, you know, support and friend support, uh, having really top notch care. Um, it was it was still positive because it made me realize, you know, that that my life can uh, any life can turn on a dime and so um just treasure mm -hmm. treasure you know everything that's good about your life and uh, and uh treasure your friends your family uh all everything that you and do everything that you love with a passion Anne marie rosaler is a breast cancer survivor if you have questions the address is cancer answers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.